0: Part 3, Chapter 6 of The Pride of Jennico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M.B. in Washington State. The Pride of Jennico by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part 3, Chapter 6. I shall carry to the grave as one of the sweetest of my life the memory of that night journey coming as it did between the fierce emotions and dangers of our meeting and flight and the perilous and furious episode that yet awaited us it seems doubly impregnated with an exquisite serenity of happiness full of brief moments that brought me then a poignant joy it brings to my heart as i look back on it now a tenderness as of smiles and tears together after a little while the flakes had ceased falling and in the faint snowlight light beneath a clear sky we gazed forth together from our ambulant nest here upon mysterious stretches of plain land there upon ghosts of serried trees trees that marched as it were past us back toward buddhison i remember how in a clear space of sky a star shone out upon us at last and how it seemed a good omen and how we kissed in the darkness then there was our meal with anna's lantern to illumine the feast i was so lost in watching my beloved bite her black bread contentedly with small white teeth and toast me with loving eyes over the thin wine that i could scarce fall to myself yet when i did so it was with right good appetite for i was hungered and i never tasted better fare then janos got out of the wagon to sit in front by the driver and smoke my great-uncle had been such a confirmed tobacco man that Janos had acquired the habit in attendance upon him and it did not behoove me to interfere with an indulgence fostered by thirty years service anyhow on that night the stray whiffs of his strong tobacco mingled not unpleasantly with the keen cold scents of the night and the sound of the two men's talk with the monotonous jingle and rumble of harness and cart made a comfortable human accompaniment to our passage in the midst of the great silence anna went to sleep and snored after her good day's work waking now and again with a start and a groan and thence to oblivion once more and then we too oblivious of the world fell into a long dream hand in hand a great wide-eyed dream filling our silence with soaring music our darkness with all the warm colour of life and thus we reached the first halting-place in the itinerary planned by Janos and myself on the imperial Chaussée. The place whence we would best defy our enemies, and therefore our ultimate destination, was, of course, my own castle of Tollendal. recent experience having sufficiently demonstrated that in England we should be ill-protected from the machinations of Budisin. This first stage was Lobau. Never did town look so thoroughly asleep under its snow-laden eaves, behind its black shutters, thought I, as our tired horses, steaming and stumbling, dragged our cart up the main street a watchman had just sung out his cry the twelfth hour of the night and a clear heaven when we turned into the market-place from the middle of which he chanted his informing ditty to those low-bowers who might chance to be awake to hear and thereby be comforted spear in one hand and lantern in the other the fellow approached to inquire into such an unusual event as the passage of midnight travellers we heard Janos, in brief tones, tell a plausible tale of his lordship's travelling-coach having broken down, on its way from Gorlitz, said he, who never missed a chance of falsifying assent, and of his lordship who happened to be in especial haste to proceed, having availed himself of a passing country-cart to pursue his journey to the next posting-town, and so forth, all the main points of this story being corroborated by an affirming growl from our Yehu. Whereupon the watchman, honest fellow— nothing loth doubtless to vary the perennial monotony of his avocation undertook to awaken for our benefit the inmates of the post-house the best house of entertainment he asservated in the town it will be long i take it before the worthy burghers of lobau and especially mine host of the cross keys forget the mysterious passage at dead of night of the great unknown magnate and his hooded lady of the tire-woman with the forbidding countenance and of the ugly body-servant whose combined peremptoriness and lavish generosity produced such wonders even had subsequent events not sufficed to fix it upon their minds as a tragic epoch in the history of their country a few minutes of obstinate hammering and bell-ringing by Janos and by the deeply impressed watchman awoke the hostelry from the depths of its slumbers the bark of dogs responded first to the clangour lights appeared at various corners windows and then doors were thrown open at last Janos threw back the leather curtain of our conveyance and hat in hand with his greatest air of bon assisted my lord in his cloak my lady in the furs both much ornamented with wisps of hay to alight from their cart my lady veiled and silent retired for an hour's rest and so away from the peering curiosity of the assembling servants and my lord paced the common-room feverishly waiting for the coming of the new conveyance which after one of his brief requisitioning interviews Pandor style had announced would be forthcoming with brief delay the common-room was dank and cold enough but my lord's soul was in warm consorting it was still exalted by the last look that my lady had thrown back at him raising her hood for one instant as ascending the stairs she had left him for the first separation in less than an hour the tinkling of collar-bells and the sound of horses hoofs clattering with a vigour of the best augury were heard approaching even as Janos entered to confirm by word the success of his quest my beloved appeared with a readiness which to me was sweeter than any words she too had been watching the moments which would speed us onwards together once more through a pretty concourse of dependents all of whom had now got wind of the rain of gratuities with which the great traveller's servant eased the wheels of difficulty we entered our new chariot i can hardly mind now what sort of a vehicle this was i believe in its day it had been a decent enough travelling chaise at any rate it moved fast once more we rolled through the silent street on the hillside roads up hill and down dale my bride warmly nestled in my arms and both of us telling over again the tangled tale of the year that had been wasted for us and thus in the idle iteration of lover's talk with the framing of plans for the future changeable and bright as the clouds of a summer's day did we fill the rapid hours which brought us to zitau in the early morning but zittau was still within the dominions of the eloping princess's father and at zittau therefore much the same procedure was hastily adopted as at the previous stage another hour or so of separation another chase and fresh horses and once more a flight along the mountain roads as the dawn was spreading grey and chill over the first spurs of the Lusatian hills this time we spoke but little to each other the fatigue of a great reaction was upon us anna was already snoring in her corner her head completely enveloped in her shawl when as i gazed down tenderly at my wife's face i saw the sweet lids close in the very middle of a smile and the placidity of sleep fall upon her i have had since the buddhism events many joys but there is none the savour of which dwells with so subtle so delicate a perfume in my memory as that of my drive in the first dawn with my wife asleep in my arms it was not yet twelve hours since i had found her and during those twelve hours i had only seen her in the turmoil of emotion or under stress of anxiety or by some flitting lamplight. her image dwelt in my mind as i had first beheld it through the glass of the palace window lovely in the first bloom of graceful womanhood stately amid the natural surroundings of her rank now wrapped in confident slumber swathed in her great robes of fur the only thing visible of her young body being the little head resting in the hollow of my arm the fair skin flushing faintly in the repose of sleep fresh even in the searching cruelty of the growing light like the petal of a tea-rose the rhythmic pulse of her bosom faintly beating against my heart she was once more for a little while to me the ottilie i had held in my castle at dolendol and as for fear of disturbing her i restrained my passionate longing to kiss those parted lips those closed lids with the soft long eyelashes i could not tell which i yearned for most the princess the ripe woman i had found again or the wayward mistress playing at wife i had schooled myself to banish in the wasted days of my overweening vanity but why thus linger over the first stage of that happy journey joy can only be told by contrast to misery we can explain sorrow in a hundred pages but if delight cannot be told in one it cannot be told at all it is too elusive to be kept within the meshes of many words sorrows we forget by a merciful dispensation and it may be wholesome to keep their remembrance in books joys ever cling to the files of memory like a scent which naught can obliterate and since i have undertaken to record the reconquest of jennico's happiness there remains yet to tell the manner in which it all but foundered in the haven. For this heart whole ecstasy of mine could not last in its entirety beyond a few brief moments. As I thus grasped my happiness, with a mind free at last from the confusing vapours of haste and excitement, even as the fair world around us emerged sharp and bright from amid the shadows of dawn, all the precariousness of our situation became likewise defined." Between me and the woman I loved, though now I held her locked in my arms, arose the everlasting menace of separation. How long would we be left together? Where could I fly with her to keep her safe? I hoped that amid the feudal state of my castle I could defy persecution. But what could such a life be at best? Thus, in the very sweetness of our reunion, was felt the bitterness of that hidden suspense that must eventually poison all now as i look back nothing seems more dreamlike than the way in which my boding thought suddenly assumed the reality of actual event in a little while i was saying to myself as i watched the shadows shorten and the beams of sunlight grow broader upon the snow in a little while the hounds will be started in pursuit the old persecution will be resumed more devilish than ever and at that thought against my will a contraction shook the arm on which my love was resting she stirred and awoke at first bewildered then smiling at me i let down the glass of the coach that the brisk morning air might blow in upon us and freshen our tired limbs we were then advancing but slowly being midway up the slope of a great wide dale the horses toiled and steamed and then as we tasted keenly the vigorous freshness of the morning air and looked forth speechless upon the beauty of the waking hour of nature that incomparable hour so few of us wot of there came into the great silence broken only by the straining harness and the faint thud of our horses hoofs in the snow another noise a curious faint little far-off noise like to no sound of nature ottilie glanced at me and i saw the pupil of her eye dilate she uttered no word neither did i but all at once we knew that there was some one galloping behind us I thrust my head out. Janos was already on the alert, standing with his back to the horses, leaning upon the top of the coach. He was looking earnestly down the valley. I can see his face still, all wrinkled and puckered together in the effort of peering against the first level rays of the sun. Now, as I leaned out also, and the horse's gallop grew nearer and nearer upon my ear, I caught, as I thought, a faint accompaniment of other hooves still more distant. I looked at Janos, who brought down his eyes to mine but three altogether, my lord, he said, and reaching as he spoke for his musketoon, he laid it on top of the coach, and thank God, he said, one can see a long way down this slope. He bade the driver draw up on one side of the road, and I was able myself to look straight into the valley. A flying figure, that grew every second larger and blacker against the white expanse beneath us, was rushing up towards us with almost incredible swiftness, in the absolute stillness of the world locked in snow the rhythm of the hoofs the squelching of the saddle the labored snorting of the overdriven horse were already audible there were not many seconds to spare and action followed thought as prompt as flash and sound there was only time in fact to place the bewildered anna just awakened by my wife's side at the back of the coach to pull up the shutter of both windows and to leap out i was hatless I grasped my still sheathed sword in one hand, and with the other fumbled for my pistols in my coat-skirts, whilst, with a thrust of my shoulder, I clapped the coach-door to. There was not time even to exchange a word with Ottilie, but her deathly pallor struck me to the heart and fired me to the most murderous resolve, and now all happened quicker than words can follow no sooner had i touched the ground than out of space as it were roaring and reeking hugely black against the sunshine the horse and his rider were upon me i had failed to draw my pistol but i had shaken the scabbard off my sword there seemed scarce a blade's length between me and the flying onslaught suddenly however the great animal swerved upon one side and was pulled up almost crouching on its haunches by the force of an iron hand the rider's face outlined against the horse's steaming neck bent towards me prince eugen's great indeed would have been my surprise had it been any other ensanguined distorted with fury glowing with vindictive triumph as once before i had seen it thus thrust into mine thou dog jennico ill slaughtered interloper at last i have got thee out of my way thou goest this time as it spat these words incoherently the red face became blocked from my view by a fist outstretched and i found myself looking down at the black mouth of a pistol barrel i cut at it with my sword even as the yellow flame leapt out my blade was shattered and flew burring overhead but the ball passed me at the same instant there came a shout from above the prince looked up and quick as thought wrenched at his horse the noble beast rose beating the air with his forefeet, just as jnos fired over my head for a second all was confusion the air seemed full of plunging hoofs and blinding smoke our own horses taking fright dragged the carriage some yards away where it stuck in a snow-heap then things became clear again i saw i know not how but all in the same flash i saw a few paces beyond me jnos now standing in the road my wife in her dishevelled furs behind him and in front free from the bulk of his dying horse my enemy on foot pistol in hand and once more covering me with the most determined deliberation of aim with my bladeless sword hilt hanging bracelet-like on my sprained wrist defenceless i stood dizzily facing my doom then for a third time the air rang with a shattering explosion the prince flung both arms up, and I saw his great body founder, head foremost, a mere mass of clay, almost at my feet. I turned again, and there was Mayanos, with the smoking musketoon still to his cheek, and there also my wife, with the face of an avenging angel, one hand upon his shoulder, and the other, with unerring gesture of command, still pointing at the space beyond me, where but a second before stood the enemy, who had held my life on the play of his forefinger! End of part three, chapter six.